Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the station's weekly dose of football debate. Joining me tonight is show regular Will Taylor. I'm Ed Tarleton, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week, we talk Ryan Giggs' resignation as Wales manager. There's capitulation at his old club Manchester United, but can new boss Ten Hag turn it around? And we wrap up the latest transfer news as Sadio Mane leaves Anfield for pastures new. All that and more to come on tonight's edition of Extra Time. Yes, hello and thank you for joining us on Extra Time as we tackle the biggest stories from the beautiful game, all in the company of our very own Will Taylor, who tonight steps away from his presenting duties and will instead play the role of pundit. Will, I've heard it said that you consider yourself a friend first, a host second and and probably an entertainer third. Um, Is that how you see yourself? Because personally, when I heard it, I thought it was rubbish. What an intro. Yeah, no, you'd have thought I wrote that, but I didn't. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Um, No, as you can see, obviously the... The, the listeners won't be able to see. I am currently, you know, filled with rage, uh, as you can see. <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, I'm not in my usual spot. But uh, you know, th- things change, mate. And I'm quite happy to be uh, to be reversing roles. And I'm judging you by every single word you say. Just well, so clearly, you know. yeah, you say that. I mean, the reason I'm sat in the presenter's <laughs> seat tonight is because, if I'm honest, standards were slipping yeah. because people, <laughs> guests on this show, people like me, were running rings around you, just willy nilly saying whatever they wanted. And tonight, people like me will be put back in their box. They absolutely as you'll see. That said, people like you, who I have described as football's answer to Jeremy Clarkson, will be let loose. So Absolutely, yeah. Only time will tell yeah. to see how I'm that... Fr- I'm free to fly, mate. I'm how that will work out. That said, that is who is steering the ship tonight. But as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on our topics as well. You can get in touch by tweeting us on the handle at River Radio or by sending an email to studio at River Radio. There's plenty to discuss, so let's dive straight in. And we start with the news that former Manchester United midfielder Ryan Giggs has resigned from his role as Wales manager ahead of the World Cup. The 48-year-old released a statement on Monday stating that after much consideration, he was standing down with immediate effect. The move comes following his recent arrest in November 2020, which has seen Rob Page take charge of the national team since, leading them to their first World Cup since 1958. In April, Giggs denied assaulting two women and controlling or coercive behaviour. He is due to stand trial for that at Manchester Crown Court in August. Regarding the decision, Giggs' statement read as follows. It's been an honour and a privilege to manage my country, but it is only the right that the Wales FA, the coaching staff and the players prepare for the tournament with certainty, clarification and without speculation around the position of their head coach. As has been well publicised, I have pleaded not guilty to the criminal accusations being heard at Manchester Crown Court. Whilst I am confident in our judicial process, I had hoped the case would have been heard earlier to enable me to resume my managerial duties. 
though nobody's fault, through nobody's fault, the case has been delayed. I do not want the country's preparations for the World Cup to be affected, destabilised or jeopardised in any way by the continued interest around this case. That, as I say, from the statement issued by Ryan Giggs confirming he is stepping down as Wales manager. Will, in the circumstances, not really a surprise, I suppose. No, no, and I think ultimately, um, you know, a a lot will be said and will continue to be said around this. But ultimately, um, you know, what he's said and what he's done is about football at the end of the day, I think. And um, I think had Wales not qualified, it might have been a slightly different story. Uh, But clearly, you know, the the interest of the national team um, is certainly what's come through in the statement and and how they're going to see it, which is which is ultimately understandable you know a, a trial in August followed by a team you know that, that you're going to the thoughts of the World Cup are going to be ringing around the players heads around that sort of time so no one wants any uncertainty around that especially for a first World Cup in 64 years so not a surprise but ultimately um, yeah and, and it's worth mentioning as well the, the incredible job Rob Page has done for the last two years which has led Wales to get to the World Cup isn't it in circumstances that he wouldn't have expected either and, mm. and it is the scale perhaps of that achievement that yeah. means that Wales themselves will be even more under the microscope because of the amount of time it has been since they were last at a World Cup Mm. finals. As a result, whilst it wouldn't have been something that I think anybody, the Welsh FA, the players, Ryan Giggs himself, the management team would have wanted, it it does, if you like, sever ties and make that divide very clear. Mm. I think in the circumstances that you see now, because everybody is going to want a piece of Wales in the run-up to this, because it means so very much to a nation who in recent years have have kind of come across their golden generation, haven't they, with players like... Ramsey and, and Bale and you know and what they did of course a, in the a brief Euros. spell of Hal Robson Carney as well precisely <laughs> you know and some and that was the thing I mean it was it was such a, a great example of the whole mm. being greater than the sum of the parts and you saw under Chris Coleman in Euro 2016 the extent to which team spirit and and everybody was backing them they were the real underdog and mm. and yet they you know kind of got support from from other nations as well when they got through to the semi-finals absolutely so I think yeah in the circumstances it's not a surprise. The job that Rob Page has done probably, I would imagine, would make him a shoe in for that post, do you not think? Absolutely. And I, I also think that's regardless of what happens at this World Cup coming up as well, because, I mean, Wales have notoriously, obviously found it very hard to qualify for a World Cup. It's not something they've ever done with, with any remote ease whatsoever. European Championships, I know it's quite a while before they got to one before, before 2016, but even then, you know, that, that was an achievement in itself. But to be going to a World Cup, it is the biggest stage in football, and it can't be understated what he's done. Uh, it, it was such a tough situation as we saw with Scotland to get there as well because no one wanted to beat Ukraine because of everything that's going on there and it was football at the end of the day uh, Gareth Bell came out and said that you know our hearts are with them but it was football and it, it was possibly one of the hardest games they could have possibly had to qualify but they still managed to to sort of grit, through grit and determination get themselves to do it in, in the end which which was just a fantastic feat so you know I, 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 the only worry I have for them is that they're in the same group as England and I know they were in 2016 as well but that completely ruined Scotland's tournament this year as well if they if England hadn't been in their group Scotland maybe would have qualified for that but they put all their focus into that England game which ultimately sold them short so yeah it's, it's going to be very interesting but I don't think there's much he can do to not have that job long term regardless of what happens at the World Cup now and the thing I find interesting about what Wales have achieved over the last 10 years whoever's been at the helm whether it's Chris Coleman Ryan Giggs actually had quite a good record as well as manager yeah. I think in 25 games he'd, he'd won 12 drawn five and I think only lost Eight, which for a, mm. a nation like Wales, the size Incredible, it is yeah. on the international stage, is is a good performance. But the amount of times credit is is given to the late great Gary Speed, 
as well, who I think a lot of people do regard as laying the foundations for this team to become what it has. And if you look at the players that have been in and around the setup for some time, they couldn't realistically know each other much better than they do. People like Wayne Hennessy and and Joe Allen have have maybe not got the same headlines as as Gareth Bale, but they've been in and around that Wales setup Mm. for a long, long time. And that experience and that togetherness showed again, didn't it, against Ukraine, as you say, a, a game that nobody really wanted to play, to be totally honest, because there was always the chance you're going to be the, the people that knock Ukraine out when everybody wants them and is willing them to go through. But Absolutely. as you say, it's football. Yeah, it, it, it is football. And I think ultimately, it's also worth mentioning away from away, away from the horrific things that are going on in Ukraine, they're a very strong football team as well. They were in the quarterfinals of, of, um, of Euro 2020, weren't they? Where, of course, England knocked them out. So, you know, it, it's an incredible feat. And I, so much can be said for, for players and teams being united, I think, can't it? Because we see player for player, I'd, I'd ultimately argue that that Ukraine side probably is better than Wales. There's a lot of championship players and, and players that maybe aren't at, up to the same level as Ukraine. But... That there's there's such a grit and determination about that squad, like I said, that I just think makes makes so much more. Like, I mean, they had no right to get to the semi final of Euro 2016 either, but they did it. I mean, that game against Belgium, for example, it was ridiculous. They played them completely off the park. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened to Joe Allen in that game either. But he turned into Perlo. He genuinely it did. It the was, Welsh Perlo. It, it really. really the thing was, it was like the dictionary definition of David versus Goliath, wasn't it? Absolutely. That game because Belgium had their golden generation right there, mm. and you know, to be sunk by a goal. And a brilliant goal, I might add, by Hal Robson Carno. You know, I'm not sure like he scored that. another it's, career goal other than that. If I'm to be honest with you, whether he did or he didn't, it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's actually Gemmell for Scotland in 1978 Absolutely. against Holland. It's that iconic that goal. It was brilliant. So, well, we certainly wish Wales the best of luck in their preparations for the tournament, which gets underway on the 21st of November, and we'll see them play in a group with Iran, the USA. And, of course, England. Heading over to the domestic game now. And having reviewed Manchester City's season last week, it's time to head across the city to Old Trafford, where, since the departure of Sir Alex Ferguson almost a decade ago, fortunes have been mixed, to say the least. Indeed, nine years on from the Scotsman's retirement, the club have won just three major honours and have been trophyless for each of the last five campaigns. Last season was particularly disappointing. United recorded their lowest ever Premier League points tally, meaning new boss Eric Ten Hag has a lot to do if they're to return to the summit of the English game. To talk us through that conundrum and the other challenges that the club face, we're delighted to welcome United fan and founder of YouTube channel Very Biased Opinions, Tom Pickering. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Ed, but I was listening to your introduction. Apparently, you're going to keep me like on a firm track and not deviating and saying crazy things. I mean, we, you failed to do it for the last two months. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, mate. Appreciate well, that. Well, I haven't because we've not had you on. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. And to be fair, now you are here, all I can do is my best. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, as introductions go, and I mean the introduction to this particular part of the show, that was what I would call a fairly measured reflection of the goings-on in M16. How do you reflect first and foremost on United season because going back to the first day Ole Gunnar Solskjaer having finished second the previous season you beat Leeds 5-1 Paul Pogba was at his absolute peak uh, in that particular game and it really started with a bang didn't it what when you look back at that now how how long ago does that feel 
Well, firstly, the five pounds I ended up betting on Man United to win the title after that result now looks like a really, really poor investment. Uh, <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> wow, it really is a terrible investment, that. <laughs> um, it, it started so well, you know, all these signings, Ronaldo returning. There's just so much fanfare and so much excitement. Um, Oli maybe had failed to deceive with his tactics, but the, the team looked so good, and Pogba being in that sort of form. And, you know, most of the, the big players he brought in didn't even play in that 5-1 game. I think Anthony Martial came on as a sub, uh, Mason Greenwood getting in the goals, and it, it felt like such an exciting start to the year and everything was going to go well. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, that season can only be can only be called a failure. That's 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 what last season was for Man United, a, a, an F grade on their season right there. You mentioned it there, the return of Ronaldo. Now, that was among the, the biggest stories of the entire season. And a lot was said about whether or not that was a good idea, whether or not he fitted into the plans, really, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had before it became clear that might be a deal they could get done. Where, where do you stand on that? Because obviously on the pitch he appeared to deliver, but post his arrival, things did start to, did start to unravel a little bit. Do you think that was inevitable anyway? Was that just the way it was always going to go? Or do you think the arrival of Ronaldo coincided and might have been related to that? I, I think when you, when you look at Ronaldo and you look at his career... He's been, he's possibly the greatest goal scorer of all time. He's achieved things at every club he's gone to. He, he probably can be mildly divisive in a dressing room, but in general, he seems to raise the game. And we saw that when he was, uh, he helped Portugal to win the Euros, how he can be a coach when he needs to. He can be there for his teammates when he needs to. And I, his, his signing just, I, it was great news to us. We had a goal scorer, we had a proven goal scorer. It was, it was someone coming in. That, that was going to raise the game, a true world-class talent, which we hadn't seen on the pitch for us for quite a while. And um, I, I still think it was a good idea, but I think there's a lot of questions about what Ollie's plan was anyway at that point. I don't know if either of you have an idea. But... Well, I mean, I, I was just going to touch on that, actually, because I think that, that signing of Ronaldo, like, like Ed touched on, was ultimately the unravelling of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, purely because, as you mentioned, he did, although not directly, he, he was very vocal on the sidelines when, when Portugal won the European Championships after coming off injured. But do you think it, it affected Oli that ultimately there was a player there that was more decorated than him at the club that he played at as well? That, that Ronaldo was arguably more of a club legend than Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was and probably get, probably commanded more respect, certainly from the younger players in the dressing room, than Oli Gunnar Solskjaer ever could have done. Do you think that played a part in ultimately the unravelling of it? I think it probably did. I think I think also one of your 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 troubles with bringing Ronaldo is is Ronaldo only works with top class teams. That Juventus side he was part of were one of the best in the world. The Real Madrid side he was part of won what four Champions League titles. The Man United sides he was in were in uh, is it three Champions League finals in four years. Won one like you know and I I, I just can't get past this thing of. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's teams never really had a true style of play, and they never truly, it was individual standout achievements making the team look good. And I, I think probably quite quickly, Ronaldo coming in, all of a sudden questions were being asked, and they were being asked by Ronaldo probably quite vocally. And, you know, 
I, I think it probably had a huge effect on the actual whole team. Well, November, of course, saw the departure of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and irrespective of the fact that Ronaldo will probably go down as a, as a bigger legend, Ole holds a, a legendary status in his own right as well. But many felt his position in the dugout had kind of become untenable following that 4-1 defeat at, at Watford. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. You can't be a Man United manager and lose 4-1 to Watford and stay in the job. That's, that, that is a cardinal sin. It's almost as bad as coming out and... There's what David Moyes didn't say. We want to be Manchester City. You can't. You just can't say and do these things. It's a, it's an unwritten rule. You wouldn't think you needed to remind somebody was the case. And the the dismal the dismal play in that four one defeat and just the absolute resignation of the whole side. It spelt the end for Ollie. And I, I think he had to go after that. I, I get what you're saying about it, it becoming untenable after, you, you know, as a Manchester United manager, you don't go away and lose 4-1 to Watford. But do you think based on your position at the time and how United have, you know, all the respect to the world sort of digressed over time, that, that actually maybe it, it, in hindsight, it was a slight knee-jerk reaction, certainly seeing how that there was no apparent plan about how they were going to replace him and what they were going to do. If you're going to bring in someone like that, to sack Solskjaer, to bring in someone like Ranić, and I know it's easy to say in hindsight, it seems a little bit of a b- bizarre decision. And, I, I just feel like a club like Manchester United, it, it goes back to the hierarchy thing, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but it, surely if you're going to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who had done quite well relative in terms of, you know, what, what he'd been inherited and, and a couple of Champions League finishes and all that sort of thing. Do, do you think ultimately, it, in hindsight, it was a knee-jerk reaction and there should have been more of a stable replacement coming to, to you know, take over from him? I think, I think there's, 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 there's two parts to this question. And part one is, should they have sacked him? And we never see the true side of football, right? We see the players on the pitch. We see the generic interviews they give. Every now and then a manager gets angry enough to kind of shout the truth into a microphone or insult somebody. But in general, we don't see what's happening. And managers rarely lose their job if they haven't lost the dressing room in the first place. I, you know, have no faith in the Man United hierarchy, but I'm pretty sure they know when the entire team had down tools. And that Watford match was the definition of we're not playing for this guy anymore. So he had to go. Now you come to the, what do we do after that? And I'm sure you're about to ask me about a certain somebody, and I don't think the route they took was probably the best one available to them at the time. Well, I'll try my luck. Um, <laughs> it was, of course, Ralph Ranić who came in and, and did struggle to kind of make an impact. Paul Skulls notoriously said he's coached a team for two of the last 10 years. Um, and, and that was really when it started to, again, not quite unravel, but you sort of sense that this season was, was kind of slipping beyond being redeemed under Ralph Ranić. Uh, first and foremost, why do, you, why do you think that was? Do you think he was undermined by the fact he clearly wasn't going to be in the, in the dugout long term? There's definitely a huge amount of substitute teacher syndrome. There's no way... A group as boisterous and rowdy as you know, twenty-five professional football players were ever going to listen to this 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 guy coming in who barely coached and had almost no track record behind him. You'd seen what happened when David Moyes came into Man United, a manager who'd achieved a lot but not won many trophies, and none of the players respected him at all. So he's definitely undermined by that, but it was also undermined by the incredibly odd nature of his contract. He's coming in, he's going to manage for like five or six months. And then he's going to step up to a boardroom level and tell everyone else how to do their job. And unless he, unless he does the world's best job coaching, you've got to be really worried, don't you? Because if he doesn't get along with the players, how does he ever move up there? So it was such an odd situation that they set up that I, 
you know, there's there's a lot of factors, but I think Ralph was always set up to fail. That's one thing I, I have really wanted to ask, actually, about Ralph Rannick. Do you think that his position or his prospective position at boardroom level, almost by virtue of how badly it went when he was in the dugout, not that, not that they necessarily slipped into the bottom half of the table or were fighting relegation or anything, it was just... I don't know, the the word almost escapes me. It was just so bland, wasn't it? There didn't appear to be any fight backbone. There wasn't a particular sort of new new bounce that you would expect of a, of a new manager. And again, that might well find its root in the fact he wasn't going to be there long term and so perhaps didn't command the same respect in the dressing room because the players only needed to wait out his tenure in the dugout, as it were. But But do you think the reason that he's now gone to Austria and all of a sudden he will not be stepping up to boardroom level, he will not be having some sort of consultancy role, is born of basically, he, he doesn't command the respect now by virtue of how that job went. Yeah, 100%. He, there's, there's no way he could keep the job after how that went. I mean, in, in, in addition to that, he kind of walked in as the manager and acted like the CEO of the company. So it was like being, you know, there's this operational team, right? And the CEO comes in and goes, right, well, apparently I got to manage you a lot, but I'm like 15 rungs ahead of you and I'll be telling you what your future is at the end of the year. So all of you play well. And then he gave these interviews where it was always, well, I can see all the problems and the players are the problem. And you're like, well, that's, again, that's a cardinal sin in football. As a manager, you never blame the players except as a lost resort. And he's coming out week in, week out saying, sell half the team. They're not doing their job. And you were surprised at the Van United hierarchy waiting so long to get rid of this consultancy thing because he basically spent his entire time at the club going, all of these players are terrible. How could they play here? And then you're like, but he's going to move into a consultancy role and have to work really closely with the players and the team. And you're like, oh, this is... Do they want to be in a room with him? So, you know, the story of Ralph will live for years. We'll be talking about this in 20 years. It's the odd... Situation this poor man was in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something. It's interesting you touch on that bit about the uh, the blaming the players because it's something that, um, of course, Jose Mourinho is so good at in that he he very much will deflect attention onto himself or away from other things in order to take the heat off his players a little bit until it gets to his third season normally at a club and he, he completely folds, of course. <laughs> but uh, but the, the one thing I wanted to ask actually is, and, and I'm not sort of justifying the job Ralph, Ralph Ranić did here because. We all know how terrible it was, but there's a common thing. There's a common denominator, isn't there, in the the, the, the managers that have failed and the players that have been at the club. And I, I don't know if Man United have necessarily made that many bad appointments or actually just been very naive with the transfer business made. It's a bit like if you if you're on a, a FIFA career mode. And you just you just go you just go oh I, oh I know him I'll get him oh he looks all right I'll get him you know he's done he's done this he's done that there, there's no there doesn't seem to ever be any strategy about who they buy whereas Manchester City and Liverpool for example are going out and and creating superstars and and Manchester United have never done that do you think the blame can't solely lie at Ralph Rangnick's feet and actually does lie with a group of players that ultimately have have led Manchester United into this position of their lowest points tally in Premier League history. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just agreeing with both of you whenever you make a point, but we all seem to be in agreement here that this whole thing is a dumpster fire. So uh, I'll level with you, know, you Tom. It's, it's not it's, what we get you on for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's still some sound bites you can cut up in this interview. Uh, Maybe not. <laughs> but um, but, no, the, 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 but um, sorry, go on. No, hundred. I was just going to say, a hundred percent. You know, the signings have been odd. You look at Liverpool's signing of Diaz, a player none of us were paying any attention to, and now he's starting a Champions League final and is absolutely electric. 
versus the signing of Jaden Sancho that was dragged out for a year and a half, and then they played him out of position for the rest of his time in Man United. So it, this, the signings have definitely not made it easier. There's There's been a clear disconnect between senior, senior management and then the football side of the game, and they have not valued the football side of the game. So they brought in a series of substitute teachers or a series of human beings to run the football side whilst cashing in in the background and going, well, Paul Pogba sells shirts. And it's like no one ever explained to Ed Woodward that he gets like 14p per shirt sold. So they can sell a million of them. He's got like 14 grand in his pocket at the end of the day. And you're like, like Ed, Ed you don't sign players for shirt sales. It's the Adidas are making all the money. So, yeah, we could, you know. I'll, I'll be really happy if we churn out 13 players. <laughs> Talking of, of the money that's been spent on players, of course you'll have seen that Chief Executive Officer of Manchester United, Richard Arnold, sort of managed to divert fans or, or kind of went to a pub where he knew fans were gathering ahead of a protest that was going to be outside his house uh, the way <laughs> the club was being run. Went there, bought them all a drink, sat down and, and chatted candidly with them. And one of the things he did say is, you know, we've spent a we're the biggest spenders in Europe. We've spent a billion on players. We just haven't spent that money very well. How did you react to, to seeing that? Because obviously there's been some reaction to the fact that naturally it was sort of covertly filmed by fans and so on and so forth. I believe he'd asked them not to do that, but that is what happened. Do you respect the honesty of him actually just coming out and telling them kind of how it was? They were expressing themselves and he said, I respect your right to be disappointed. I'm, I'm not terribly happy either, but, but we think we know what it is we need to do. Or, or for you, was it just almost kind of another symptom of, of, of the club not being terribly well run for quite some time now. I mean, let's, let's really quickly, I got to get this off my chest. As somebody who works in marketing, always assume someone's filming you. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's the rookiest era. It's 2022. I swear it's 2022. We've all got mobile phones. Stop speaking publicly if you don't want to get recorded. Good but point. I'm filming, being... I'm filming Will right now. And I'm filming Ed, which is even weirder. <laughs> and neither of us knew, which yeah, is exactly. even strange. <laughs> But um, I, I thought that was the first honest statement I've heard out of the Man United hierarchy since Ferguson stepped down, I think, to be totally honest. It was one of those things where it's like you have they have the opportunity now to draw a line under it and be like, we got everything wrong. So in exchange for getting everything wrong, you may have noticed we basically sacked everybody. We're letting half the team walk away on a free this is me honestly saying to you, we've messed up and we're we're going to try and do better. And, you know, it was like the Rangnick signing in after Oli left. As long as you're being honest and saying it's a placeholder and this bloke isn't going to be there for good and we're actually going to do the work we need to do to improve the club, I think as a real fan, you should be happy to hear that. And you should go, yeah, you have wasted a bunch of money because for the last five years, I've watched garbage on the pitch. So maybe admit it draw a line under it, hire some people that actually know about football and let's move on and stop finishing below Liverpool because it hurts my soul. Okay, well, going back to the, the on-pitch matters then, hindsight, and I think this is sort of what Will was alluding to before, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Looking at it now, would you have stuck with Solskjaer till the end of the season or is it just impossible to get away from how unlikely a Champions League spot had begun to look with him at the helm at that point in November? I think... I think that at Manchester United, despite the hard times they've had recently, a certain standard has to be maintained. And Solskjaer had fallen below it, and his players had stopped playing for him. Now, I don't believe what Man United did following the Solskjaer sacking worked. I thought you could have just given the job to Michael Carrick and let him run with it to the end of the year. 
but they got rid of him for the right reasons. Just what they did after that, I think, was wrong. 4-1 to Watford is such a debilitating result. I remember watching it and just being sat there going, am I am I in a, a different world? Is this the Twilight Zone? How is this happening in front of me? So, yeah, I, I still think it was the right thing to do. Okay, well, the, the way in which we now sit, of course, is, as I said in the introduction, it was the, the lowest points total Manchester United have, have ever had. It's now five years since they won a, a major trophy. That, of course, was under Jose Mourinho. The new man in charge is Eric Ten Hag, who's come in from Ajax, and he's been going about his work for a couple of weeks now. What are you expecting from him, first and foremost? And, and how have you felt about what you've heard coming out of the club and, and coming out of him since his arrival? In general, his interviews have been fine. I don't think he had any interest in Ralph sticking around. He seemed very lukewarm whenever he had to answer any sort of question about that, and I think anybody would be. Having their predecessor outside of Ferguson still at the club was always going to be a little bit a little bit tense. The Steve McLaren issue seems still an odd one to me, the constant rumor that Steve McLaren's coming back to Man United. But what I have liked about Ten Hag is that there haven't been knee-jerk reactions since he's come in. He's come in, we haven't signed a bunch of players, we haven't spent a ton of money on nobody. We're kind of like watching other Premier League sides pick and choose players, and we're, we're giving him time to get a view on the team. And what I'm really hopeful to see next year is a style of play on the football pitch that I, as a fan and as a coach, can go, oh, we're doing that. Oh, we are pressing for the whole game. Oh, we are trying to build up through passing. Oh, we are going to get the ball to our wingers and drive forward. Instead of, well, if we kick the ball forward to the talented three blokes up front, eventually they'll figure something out. So, that I mean, that's why I'm hopeful for Ten Hag. And right now he hasn't done anything wrong to make me think that he's, he's also going to add lighter fluid to the dumpster fire. Isn't that the, the, the summary of Manchester United? He's doing fine. <laughs> that's led to me <laughs> to believe it's all okay. Um, I know, but, but curiously, obviously, he's been linked with United several times, hasn't he? Obviously, when he went on that incredible run with Ajax to the Champions League mm-hmm. semi-finals, and, and he always seemed to be sort of waiting it out and all that sort of thing, if you know what I mean, didn't he? Do you, do you think he's waited for the perfect moment to take over Manchester United and that obviously there's always expectation at the club but he knows realistically things can't get that much worse so so he's almost timed it quite well yeah I think I think this is probably if he's going to do what I think he he wants to do this is the perfect time to come in there's going to be a huge level of change change always breeds additional problems it breeds stress I think he wants this sort of situation he wants to see what he can get out of the players. He wants to see what happens when you're, when you're Pogba's, Matish's, Matas, Cavani's all suddenly exodus out of the club. And it's like, right, we have a load of young players who 12 months ago were world-class and now we can't get a tune out of them. Let's see what we can get and how can we, how can we add to this team? Um, Oh, look at me, I'm getting excited. When's next season start? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the performances, sorry to drag you down, but the performances last season did show that there is a, a lot of work to be done. In your opinion as a fan, how much time do you think he reasonably needs before he can start to be judged on his performance and whether or not he's he's doing a good job? Because it strikes it strikes me that quite a bit of his early work will be righting some of the wrongs, as you were saying, having these world-class players who don't seem to be playing in a discernible system that that is reflected, you know, when you watch a Manchester City or a Liverpool where every player seems to be buying into exactly what 
what they've been asked to do. Manchester United, it, it doesn't look like that. So how long will it be for you before you can start to say this is Ten Hag's team and structure and strategy now? Because it feels like by virtue of where you finished, he almost deserves longer. I think within the first two to three months, there's going to be certain things that Man United fans want to see. A, they want to see a first team. They would like to see at least nine or ten of the same players on the pitch, week in, week out, in the exact same uh, formation. That's something we haven't seen for ages. Even Ollie would chop and change around the team, and it becomes really hard to believe that the players are going to be given a good chance because they're constantly dragged out when they have a bad performance. Something else that would be really nice to see is a manager that actually shows his emotion on the sideline. Ollie sat quietly quite a lot. Ralph literally looked like he was falling asleep in the technical area half the time. What we, I think what most fans like to see from a manager is when it's going badly, them jumping up onto the sideline and shouting out instructions, them hauling off a player after 60 minutes because he has played badly. A manager that will deflect criticism and look totally insane, but the next game the team comes out and plays better and you go, okay, cool, you know, he took the flat for this, but look, it's gotten a result. You know that he's, he's had words with them. But within the first two to three months, if, if, if he wants the fans truly behind him, he just needs to show that he has a personality and that he's inputting it on the team. The performances will be up and down. I don't think there's a Man United fan on earth that truly in their heart of hearts believes that, you know, two games in, we'll have scored 12 goals and be top of the league. But it's more about... What are the players showing on the pitch? What is he showing on the sideline? And can a lay fan and can a coach and can, you know, the pundits see what's going on and tell the story? Because under Ralph and under Ollie, no one knew what the story was on the pitch. We just knew there were 11 guys out there that didn't look like they got along very well. Well, one part of, of his job, of course, will be recruitment, but also making decisions over who he, he doesn't want in his team. Transfer-wise, what do you think he needs to do? Paul Pogba is, is leaving on a free, of course. Jesse Lingard is going to. Juan Mata will depart. Nemanja Matic as well. But there are still names in that squad that you feel have been there a long time without ever really being in first-team consideration, at least not for several years. I mean, people like Eric Bailly and, and Phil Jones is, is still on the books, for example. Uh, who do you think you need to bring in and and who do you think you maybe need to ship out that's still there see i think this is an area where as a as a football fan and as a man united fan we need to start re-aiming who we're looking at um there's some players that need to go in my opinion dalo tellez two players that definitely need to go Wamasaka, would you put him in that boat as well because obviously he's in the second half of the season wasn't getting selected and and suddenly appears to to not really be flavor of the month yeah, I mean it's 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 perfectly possible. Um, he he's an odd one because you know he can defend, and Man United shipping goals, and then he's not getting a game. But then he can't attack, and all of a sudden we wanted to use uh, that. Yeah, the Wambasaka thing is, is is very odd. But where I think we've fallen down is is as a football fan, you always look at like the top fifteen players on earth, and like we just need to sign him. If we just had the best center midfielder on earth, at, you know, from Real Madrid, we'd be fine. And I'd be really happy seeing him give a huge amount of chance now to the young players of the team. We know that historically Man United have one of the best youth setups in the country. They actually produce more players for the English game than almost anybody else. Now, a lot of them end up in the championship, first division, second division, but they still produce and have this incredible talent line. You've got your Rashfords that have come through. Uh, you know, Greenwood's gone, but he clearly was a talent. And it'd be nice to see them put a bit of faith in some of the young players and just let them play. And then 
what they, they seem to be really interested in Frankie de Jong. And if he thinks Frankie de Jong is the answer, let's bring him in. I really hope we don't have another Angel Di Maria situation on our hands where he's good for a couple months and then goes, it's quite cold here and my family don't like it, so I would now like to leave. But, you know, if that's his big signing of the year, great. Bring him in. Bring a couple bit part players in that I don't know. You know, your Diaz's, all these players that Liverpool seem to have brought in over the years. Salah was had no talent when they got him. You know, he's basically a twenty million pound signing. Mane cost thirty million. Firmino came from nowhere. Diaz. Liverpool have been great at getting these little stars that no one was paying attention to and signing them. And I, I, I don't want to state names because I'd like us to start doing that. I'd like we have all this money. We have this incredible scouting network. I'd love them to start getting players, a bit like when Vidic and Ever came in. And when Vidic and Ever came in, I had no idea who they were, and they turned into the best left-backs and centre-backs in the world. I mean, certainly one player that's been linked from his former club, Ajax, is, is Anthony. Ajax appear to be making quite clear that they, will not, they won't be asset-stripped purely because their previous manager has now gone to Manchester United. That's not something they're going to allow to happen. But I'm really interested in what you say about the young players as well, because Manchester United, there's this baffling statistic that they've had somebody who's homegrown, and by that I mean has come through the youth ranks of the club, something like for over 4,000 games consecutively. It is an extraordinary stat. It really is. Obviously, we did see a couple of a couple of players kind of come through towards the end. Is there anybody that you've that you've seen that you'd like to see more of? Um, well, I think Hannibal would be a really interesting player to see more of. Um, uh, it was the passion that he managed to show on the pitch so routinely that was actually really good to see. Um, I'm struggling for his name right now, but the young lad who's been playing for Forest on loan looks a really interesting player if he was to come in and get a chance. It was really good to see Alanga playing as many games as he did, especially near the end of the season. He looked like one of those players that grew into himself. There were games where he looked completely aimless, but they let him stay on the pitch, and there were matches where he was absolutely electric. He wasn't afraid to shoot. That's a really good thing in a young player that he, he took a lot of bad shots, but you have to take you have to take a shot to score. So that was really good to see. Um, so there 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 are a couple I'd really like to see play. Um, truthfully, it'd be interesting to see because De Gea is probably, in my opinion, one of the best shot stoppers in world football. But he cannot pass the ball, and will be interesting to see if Ten Hag can teach him to pass, or if Dean Henderson should be allowed to play football at the club because he can pass. Well, it will certainly be intriguing to see how United look to address the various issues under their new boss. For the time being, meanwhile, we'll stick with the recruitment angle as we discuss the latest stories from the transfer window. Tom, thanks so much for your time. Been a pleasure. Have a good night, boys. Thank you. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. That was Tom Pickering there talking about the fall from grace of Manchester United and how he hopes they can get back on top form next season under Eric Ten Hag. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Remember to get in touch. Just tweet us using the handle at River Radio Live and your thoughts could be making a guest appearance on tonight's show. Up next, though, is our transfer chat, and we'll be revisiting this throughout the summer as sides look to strengthen their squads ahead of the new season. Will, you're our man in the know when it comes to transfers. What have you got 
lot for us because there's been a, a pretty seismic move, hasn't there, in uh, in the last few hours? There has. I don't know where this sudden praise is coming from either. I, I was getting slagged off about half an hour ago, and and it's all it's all you've, you've changed your tune a bit, mate. Don't worry, I'll pick it yeah. up again. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Yeah, of course. The, the big breaking news, mate. Of course, is the uh, is is the story that Sadio Mane is no longer a Liverpool player, which is rather sort of shocking to think of, isn't it? At all, because it feels like the end of an era. It almost. does. It does. And I think obviously Mohamed Salah, he's not getting any younger. There's sort of delayed contract talks there. Bobby Firmino doesn't seem to really be getting in that team as much as he used to either. And that iconic front three that, of course, troubled Manchester City kind of out of nowhere in in the end and that that that, we, that Jurgen Klopp used to reinvigorate this this Liverpool team that have gone so stale over so many years not too dissimilar to to Manchester United that we're talking about as well um it, it, it does feel a little bit like the end of an era to be completely honest but that's not to say that Liverpool Liverpool's era of dominance in in certain aspects is over I don't think I think that they seem to have replaced really well and and seem to be building on the success that they've had which is which is fantastic but I mean to see him go in after everything he's done everyone criticised the signing when he went 40 million for a Southampton player it seemed ridiculous especially after they'd signed Dejan Lovren who of course ended up being pretty much a flop I think it's fair to say it, it was it was ludicrous at the time but he's ended up being one of the best Premier League attackers of the Premier League era I think it's fair to say after everything he's done he's he's got to be up there isn't he well he's over 100 goals as well he's part of the 100 club and, and I agree I think there was a certain there were memes going around wasn't there yeah. that Southampton could put a label on anything and Liverpool would buy it because <laughs> well, they'd they also bought Van Dijk as well. Nathaniel yeah. Klein they yeah. bought Virgil van Dijk as well Southampton almost with his feeder team weren't they for, for Liverpool <laughs> were, but he's yeah. been a tremendous servant to the club he's been absolutely fantastic for years and years and, and players do seem to get to a certain age don't they where they seem to feel they've maybe got one more big move left in them yeah. and, and I think it always seemed to be Sadio Mane who would get hooked if there was going to be a change and and I think Liverpool themselves perhaps you know with the signing of Diaz as well and the extent to which he hit the ground running I'm not sure they necessarily anticipated that but when they put him on that boy could play and he could play at this level almost instantly he, it was seamless He's the way in which he, better as well, he, he yeah. got in there Darwin Nunes has, has come in as well and, and Jota came in and, and actually had a, a pretty big impact that transfer came from, from no where Absolutely it felt like no last way, summer, yeah. but he was he was brilliant as well. And and when both Mane and Salah went off to the Cup of Nations, Liverpool held it together. And and I won't go as far as say they didn't miss them, but they got the job done nevertheless, didn't they? So that front three or or four, depending on the rotation and stuff, uh, probably was was due a bit of reinvigoration. And I think that's maybe what we're seeing at the moment. It will, like you say, be interesting to see how a player who I think is absolutely brilliant and very underrated in Bobby Firmino, where his future lies potentially because mm. as you say towards the end of the season it was it seems to be Salah Mane and, and Diaz quite a lot and Firmino became well, yeah. a bit of a, a bit part player so I'll be interested to see what what happens there but obviously it's a it's a loss for the Premier League but perhaps a, a, a good move for Sadio Mane and, and we wish him all the best I we, think yeah absolutely and what, what a sign in it is for Bayern Munich as well who who slightly I think it's fair to say probably underperformed so over the last couple of years it didn't really work out for, for Julian Nagelsmann in his first season there did he he seemed to be deflected a lot obviously I I, I I was constantly reminded over the season that they played Villarreal in the quarter final I said they breezed past them and of course they were knocked out so um, yeah but I mean this is this is the problem isn't it And it, they still won the Bundesliga at a canter as they do every year but it wasn't quite as convincing a canter as it has been in previous years was it there was a, quite a few surprise losses in there it wasn't that comfortable they shipped quite a lot of goals 
goals for a team that had that have so many incredible defenders, Nicolas Sulu, Meccano, Manuel Neuer still in goal. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure he solves the problem for them, but certainly with all the rumours flying around about Lewandowski and, and Leroy Sane potentially being unhappy, he, he's a perfect fit. And it's been a while since Bayern Munich signed an absolute superstar, isn't it? A world beater. Yeah, that, I, that's true. And I think you're quite right in the sense that for a team like Bayern Munich, and, and you might argue that for someone like PSG as well, you know, really the barometer is not whether or not they win their league, domestically no, speaking, because there isn't well, really... Well, Pochettino won his and he looks to be out of a job, doesn't Too much he, so. competition. It's the, you know, really for them, the barometer is how they perform against mm. the bigger sides in, in Europe. I mean, Dortmund didn't really pose massive opposition no, this year. No, they didn't. Um, you know, and, and obviously PSG won the title back. I mean, the fact that they contrived to lose the title was more <laughs> of a news story, really, than the fact they than they won it this season. Absolutely. So, you know, that's... I think you're right. There, I think we expected more. Villarreal were a bit of a surprise package this year. And, and Definitely. you know, I think a lot of people, yourself included, came, <laughs> but, you know, kind of got unstuck with that one. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good move for Sadio Mane. I think they've got a very, very good player and, and someone who will certainly, you know, be, be more than capable in the Bundesliga. Um, and I imagine if Lewandowski is to move on, he will hopefully go there and consider himself or he'll be hoping that he can be kind of the main man a little bit in a way that it felt like he just never was quite able to irrespective of when he was even outperforming Salah Salah was still the man wasn't he seemingly yes that seemed to be the the way it was do do you think that will that ultimately I think I think it's a move that will really help Nagelsmann if Lewandowski is allowed to move on as well because Lewandowski is ultimately one of if not the best striker of a generation, his goal record is incredible. Perhaps maybe your your Canes and your Suarez's, they're all in that discussion anyway, aren't they? We don't have time for that discussion tonight. But the, the fact that he moves up, the way he is, he's obviously you know sort of similar to Erling Haaland. He's a, a big striker. He'll link up play, he'll hold the ball, you stick a ball in the box, he'll probably win it and get on it. But it, it ultimately can limit a style of play, can't it? It, it, it? You can't play as much of a fluid game when there's a big man up front, so to speak, if you know what I mean. And, and if Mane is going to lead the line and they're going to have that more fluid system that seems to be working for so many teams, especially Manchester City um, and even PSG, then... You know that that could ultimately be a huge thing for Bayern Munich as well, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely could. But that's the interesting thing, isn't it? And I don't want to kind of segue too much here. But like you say, when you've got a player like Harry Kane, or you've got a player like Lewandowski, and dare I say it, potentially if you've got a player like Erling Haaland, yeah, that player is basically going to be on the pitch. You feel like a lot of the time now in Erling Haaland's case, because of Manchester City coping quite well and winning the league without him, perhaps that's arguably less justifiable mm. than than say a Lewandowski who has been hardwired into the DNA of how Bayern Munich play yeah. for quite some time now. But yeah, it doesn't give you that sort of dexterity, really. And, and you're not able to kind of almost switch it up because the first thing that's going to happen if you take off Harry Kane and for Spurs is, well, he took Harry Kane off. Yeah. And, and really, you're then gambling on that decision winning and if it you the game and, and if, if it, it doesn't you are going to take a, a lot of flack for it um, you know Lewandowski's made it clear that he doesn't really want to be at Bayern Munich anymore however he has said he won't force through a move if they're desperate for him to not go but he doesn't really want to be there and having said that publicly I, I won't imagine they're going to be looking for him to stay it's, it's bizarre though because he, he said something along the lines of he feels sick being there or something like that. It was. I'm not. I'm not a direct German translator, but it was really something quite bizarre that he'd said beforehand. So it, it is quite curious. But that's you know. I, I try not to read too much into into this stuff. I mean, recently I read something about the the reason for which Samba, the goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest, having 
been quite an integral part in them getting promoted wants, hero, to go, isn't he? wants yeah. to go back to France and you sit there and think well that doesn't that doesn't really make sense so unless I'd heard that literally from him in a direct interview <laughs> or something like that I'm not sure how much credence I'll give that having no, just read enough. it on paper to be totally honest with you um, but look at the end of the day I think yeah there's something in what you're saying a lot of sides are having a again a lot of change out of that immense dexterity that they're able to have with these mm. interchangeable players that are able to play left ring right wing through the middle maybe in a number 10 role and so on and so forth and and maybe that's you know that's what Nagelson's looking at and also look let's let's you know not pretend like we've been saying that, that Sadio Mane is a is a brilliant player and, and only 30 and you know still probably has a, prime, a good yeah. a good two three years left at the top top level um, and by that I mean you know justifiably being in sides that could be looking at you know, winning the Champions League. And I think, you know, when you get to sort of 34, 35, unless you're like a Luka Modric, that becomes more and more difficult to do. Players do do it, rarely forwards, but... Unless you're a freak like Cristiano you, Ronaldo. You know, I, the, the, I think in the circumstances, I think he had a year left in his contract. It's a good deal for, for all parties. 40-odd million, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, otherwise, otherwise, uh, otherwise, in the Premier League, there have, of course, been uh, a couple of other moves. Uh, Fabio Vieira to Arsenal from Porto, about 35 million. You're smiling because you know the joke that's about to come, don't you? He's got a lot to live up to in the Vieira name he certainly he? has I, I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go into Arsenal and be called Vieira to tell you the truth because it invites a comparison that's going to be very very difficult to emulate or even live up to but yeah, anyway, um, yeah. I hear good things I hear that whilst he's not a, a pace merger necessarily he certainly can, can can pick out a pass and, and it'll be interesting to see how he's sort of integrated into Mikel Arteta's side I, th- I think ultimately as well um, you know Arsenal have been requiring that midfield enforcer for quite a while haven't they Granit Xhaka has done it in bit parts hasn't he when he's not been getting sent off or throwing his captain's armband to the ground or cupping his ears or or any any saga that Granite Shack has been involved in I mean he's also just played games that have been uneventful yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have to say that in the way that you're saying like that other other gambling firms do exist yeah. or whatever you know exactly. like, well, it's not product yeah, he, placement he, he not has. just digging out Granite Xhaka yeah. he has played games where you know he's scored goals and this sort of thing but it's always been a curious one with him isn't it because I think he's almost he's almost been played in that holding role and I don't think that's a role he really sees himself in I no. think he wants to be playing further forward well every time I watch him for Switzerland he plays completely differently and plays it very well like every time you see him for, I remember watching him at the Euros last summer and thinking God Arsenal do have a player here he, he can do things very well and he was going toe to toe with some of the best players in Europe and, and really you know performing well but I just don't think the system or the way it's been played under several managers at Arsenal has suited Xhaka at all and I think ultimately it's just one of those moves that just hasn't happened and hasn't worked out and he's, like you said he has had good games I'm not completely defacing that problem but he's always a flight risk isn't he in every single game if you know he's going to go into a tackle that could be a red card nine times out of ten he probably will win the ball but the odd one he'll go in above the knee and get himself suspended for three games and that's that's sort of the problem whereas a little bit more of a player that, that seems a little bit more cool-headed who who has a good experience playing in Portugal and, and certainly doesn't have a, a, a horrific disciplinary record might actually help Arsenal and, and this idea of, of not bringing in really experienced players who, who play who have played European football for many many years seems to be the, the identity Arsenal are going for and it's, it's a respectable one I think because we were just speaking about it with Man United going out and getting the best players doesn't necessarily work and, and cultivating a player like Fabio Vieira who by the way the Portuguese league seems to be 
nurturing out some fantastic players, doesn't it? So why not is what I'd say. I think if, if it, it, it attracted a lot more attention if he'd gone somewhere like like um, Liverpool or Manchester City, which I'm fairly confident he could have done. I think it's a very, very good signing for Arsenal. Well, time will, of course, tell. But there's been another player on the move in London today. He's going back to Italy. Tell us who that is. <laughs> it's Robert Lukaku. And it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? He's just not been interested almost from two weeks into the season. And that, obviously, we, we, we spoke to Louis Benevente uh, months ago now about Lukaku refu- doing that interview with Sky Italy, which remains one of the most bizarre things I've seen since I've started watching football. To do an interview like that while you're contracted to a club that you've been at since you were 17, albeit in spells, um, which he, of course, was before going to Everton and Manchester United, etc. Et and how recently he had returned yeah, as well. Exactly. It did seem like peculiar timing. And, and obviously that was what saw Tuchel drop him for, for a little while. We've seen a bit of that this season, of mm. course. Arteta did the same with, with Aubameyang mm. over disciplinary issues. Aubameyang no longer at the club. Now, Inter Milan have gone back on loan, haven't they? And it's an €8 million Euro loan fee. Figures I'm reading says that he's taking a pay cut to go back and, and it might well be as much as, as 30%. Is this a good deal for both parties in the circumstances, would you say? He said he wants to go back there and, and really the Chelsea thing didn't look to have worked out. No, I mean, inflation's on the rise as well. I don't think the cost of living crisis is quite as bad in Milan as it is London. So that's got to play a part. But, but no, in all, in all seriousness, no, I th- look, I mean, he, he obviously wanted to be there. He enjoyed it. And I think the way that football's played in Serie A and Italy, it's a slower game. It's a game where he, he naturally gets more space and more time. It's a game that's not played quite at the tempo that the, the English game is played at. And I think that just suited him down to the ground and he, he really adjusted to that and I think it took him by surprise a little bit just how much the Premier League had progressed in those two years that he hadn't been in it because it has just gone stratospheric recently over the last few years in terms of the, the overall quality of the league as well teams are coming up from the division below and and storming the division and doing very very well and yeah we've seen it a few times Leeds United Sheffield United of course Brentford, Brentford this yep. season as well teams are coming in and, and holding their own and that, that gap almost appears to be getting ever so slightly smaller if you have a distinct clear style of play and a clear strategy unless you're Norwich or Fulham it's absolutely it is yeah. possible yeah. to stay to stay in the in in the league, isn't it? And of course, it will potentially see us reunite uh, Lukaku and Ibrahimovic again because those two famously don't don't really get on no, anymore, do they? So that'll be think. interesting with them two both both at the Milan clubs respectively. Mm. Um, Arsenal again have been linked uh, with Rafinha uh, from Leeds United. Now Leeds apparently want sixty five million pounds. That's the the price they've set, and and I do understand as a Crystal Palace fan, I understand mm, that yes. because it's not necessarily perhaps that Rafinha is worth sixty. Is what he's worth to Leeds, and you know a Leeds team that very, very narrowly avoided relegation. Um, Arsenal, as you say, leading the race. They've had a first bid rejected. Spurs have, have kind of potentially surfaced for talks. Barcelona are still meant to be interested as as well. Do you do you see him being a Leeds player by the end of the window? I don't see him being a Leeds player, but I don't think he'll stay in the Premier League. I think Barcelona are doing absolutely everything they can to get him. He's a Brazil international. He's, he's a very good player. He suits that mould of uh, of Barcelona. I don't really think there's many players in the market. I think this is the big thing. I don't think there's many players in the market that would be that are completely enamoured by Barcelona as they would used to be. But Rafinha seems to be incredibly interested in going there. It seems to be his preferred destination. £65 million in today's market for, a, for an international footballer who's, who's going to be looking to go to a World Cup and impress ahead of a World Cup is, is, is not that much money. I know I, I say that not much money, but I'm not sure who's doing Barcelona's accounts because if they can afford him but they're renting out the new camp for weddings, you've got to be asking questions, haven't you? So it's, it's all a little bit bizarre. But I, Other wedding venues yeah, are available. Are available. 
available. Yeah, up, up to Burnabout is fine, <laughs> I think, as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting one with Rafinha because th- there is so obviously a very, very, very talented player in there, but there are so many inconsistencies. And it's just whether you chalk that down to the quality of the team that he's playing in. We've said on this show before, Leeds, player for player, not necessarily a Premier League team, even though they are, if you know what I mean. There's not that many superstars in there. So whether you can chalk it down to that or whether he's just an inconsistent player. And if he is, that's a risk to take for 65 million. Again, I mean, using the, the Palace example, so a team I know well, I think one thing you, you can say is it depends on the company you're keeping and yeah. what the expectations of you personally are. I put it to you that if Rafinha went to um, a, a Liverpool or a, or a Manchester City, first and foremost, the players that are getting on the end of his crosses or his passes are probably able to do a little bit more with it organically mm, and definitely. turn a pass that perhaps didn't have the potential to be a defence splitter into something that was quite dangerous by virtue of who they are. You know, if he was passing to a prime Sergio Aguero, <laughs> yeah. I put it to you that he gets more assists Absolutely, than he yeah, does at Leeds United. Right. But the other thing is the demands that players like that place upon you as well Absolutely. I did a, a show a, a little while back with with Alan Shearer and Tim Sherwood talking about the Blackburn team in 95 and Sherwood was talking about what Alan Shearer would say to the wingers before they go into any game which is just get the ball into the box I will find it just get it in there as early as you can and players who have that clout who are scoring goals I know that Wright and Bright at Palace used to do the same to, to John Solarco they were mm. the people who get you the goals you did what they said and I think when you're playing in a team whereby you're almost given the ball and it's like well hopefully it'll, it'll create something <laughs> yeah. whether it's a Zaha or a Fenia, sometimes you know you end up doing too much because you're taking so much weight on your shoulders I don't think it's coincidence at Palace for example that Zaha has had such a productive season under Patrick Vieira because actually with people like Elise and Conor Gallagher in and, and yeah, there's been a rotation of forwards but Mateta's been among the goals in yeah. a way that I don't think many people thought he, he would Definitely. Eze came back in as well that creative burden wasn't solely upon him um, and, and there are times where you used to see him just do so much on the ball and you just think it is a team game you know just go and get go and get that assist by, by playing early so as I say I think that 65 million is, is basically what Rafinha is like you said, probably worth to Leeds United. Um, but I think, you know, you will probably see more from him in terms of his stats by virtue of the team he's playing in. If he is mm. to play in a far better team, if he's supplying Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I'll put it to you, that is slightly different from supplying Patrick Bamford. <laughs> yeah, um, so. yeah. not, not necessarily because there's wildly different scoring records between him in the last couple of years. There actually isn't. Um, but just by virtue of who you're playing for, the players that are around you, the atmosphere you're doing it in, and, and the personalities you're playing with will be, will be crucial, won't they? Now, this is a really interesting one, You've, you've listed here. Nick Pope has been really heavily linked with Newcastle, who of course were potentially in the market, we thought, with Dean Henderson as well. Mm. Dean Henderson has been linked with Nottingham Forest since then, which I think potentially would be a good move for them Option if they're goalkeeper. Option £20 million, pound, I think, at the end of it, isn't it? Well, I hear that Manchester United aren't terribly keen on, on that option to buy mm. scenario, but I think it would be a, a, a good move for Henderson. It would be more of the same in terms of what he was doing at Sheffield United. Mm. But that would leave the, the door open for, for Newcastle potentially to go and get someone like Nick Pope, who I thought was absolutely brilliant in Burnley's fight for survival towards the end of the season. I mean, every single season he's been fantastic for Burnley. Though, so, so many great, great saves. And, and it's, it's as though that, that goalkeeper position at, at Newcastle, they've not been able to sort of fully nail it down for a couple of seasons. When Dubravka first came in, he kept a clean sheet against Manchester United. They won the game 1-0 and it was finally Newcastle have a, have a bona fide yeah. goalkeeper they think they might be able to rely on. And, and it's never quite stuck in, in that way where he's very much cemented himself as the number one. Do you think that would be a good move, for, again, for both parties? It, it would be, I think. And I think, also, I think it's worth remembering as well that obviously they, tr- they really persevered with Carl Darlow as well, didn't they? Who, who I think infamously 
had a soccer AM reel of him doing his hair throughout the game. I think they counted about 13 <laughs> times. Uh, but yeah, Nick Pope to, to, Burn, to, to Newcastle from Burnley, sorry, is, is, also, is just an incredible signing. It's just a great piece of business. He's not going to play in the Championship next season, not with the World Cup coming up. He, he, can't, he cannot play in the Championship next season. And there's, there's arguments that he's England's best goalkeeper, which he could well be. And it's hard to reflect that in what is quite a poor team at Burnley if you know what I mean and he's, he's been under so much pressure and it, what I just think the Newcastle move is perfect for him because it's a club that's going places it, but it's not you're not going to be bad with trying huge to, expectation it's not trying way. to run before it can walk is it no. and that's been indicated indicated by the, the signings of, of you know Dan Byrne and Matt Target as well you know there have been sort of little gems in there with all this money they've got and Kumarayesh who, who was brilliant fantastic but at yeah. the same time they, they are kind of going and making astute signings and, and I would imagine should be on for, for a top 10 finish next season I've just got to squeeze this last one in because this is this is wild if this comes off. Gareth Bale, we heard about this a little while ago and it kind of went away. Gareth Bale could be set to return to his homeland as being eyed up by Cardiff City. Five times Champions League winner, potentially playing in the championship <laughs> next season. What do you make of that? Um, well, it'd obviously be a career highlight for him. I'd imagine when he played in the second tier of English football. But look, I mean, Gareth Bale has no intention of... He, he seems to have lost a love for football other than playing for Wales, I think, essentially. And he, he will want to keep himself at the top of his game ahead of what will probably be his last tournament for Wales, I'd imagine. He seems to not, not have too much interest in carrying on. And I think had Wales failed to qualify for the World Cup, we may well have seen the end, end of Gareth Bale playing completely. So I, I, it's a really interesting one. But I just see it as a great swan song for him to, to be playing for Cardiff and then go to the World Cup with Wales if you ask any Welsh footballer who's not a Swansea fan it's pretty much the dream isn't it so. I don't know I mean maybe they'll go for Ram, Ramsey as well yeah. and have a, have a big reunion yeah, who's to say exactly. listen what was the flag was it red Wales Golf Madrid in that yeah. order and I suppose Cardiff comes under that Wales umbrella so does. what time will tell Will thanks so much for joining me it's been a really really good show been great to have you along Tom as well thank you and thank you for listening in we'll be back with you again